Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Bethel World Outreach Church, I am so excited to be with you right now. I believe that last week was a special moment in our church, and I believe that from the words I'm getting from you guys, it provided healing. First of all, I want to thank you. If you're a part of our church, this diverse church with 60 different nations in it, I want to thank you because I want to tell you, you are a part of the solution. Just by attending church, you are an affront to the attack of the enemy to divide us and to say that it is not possible for black, white, and every other ethnicity to live together. So thank you for that. Thank you for showing support to your church and support for the issues that are going on. And today, I believe that God can help us all continue in this journey and to emote and also have resolve with answers from him that we can actually apply to our life right now. So let's pray as we get started in the word today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for everyone that is watching or listening right now. I pray, God, that your supernatural grace and touch would be upon them. Anoint our ears to hear the thus saith the Lord. Though I'm a man, I ask you to think through my mind, speak through my mouth, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, I wanna say you are my strength and my redeemer. And if you're at home, let every glad and happy heart say amen. For those of you tired of being at home, be patient. God will deliver us soon. Now, here's my question for you. Have you ever gone to a person who should have the answer to a difficult question and you get there and they don't give you the answer you anticipate? If you're like me, it can leave you unfulfilled and a bit agitated and frustrated and mad. Have you ever done uh, the right steps to a thing in the right sequence, in the right order, and yet failed to get the result that it promised? It too can leave you feeling a little empty and it's frustrating and it can make you angry. You know, in a lot of ways, there's uh, this sentiment out there. Go to school, don't do crime, do all the right things, bring problems to the right people and they'll be solved and your life will be pie in the sky and heaven on earth. Now, a lot of us have had these moments where we do the right steps, say the right things and do the right sequence, but it's left us frustrated. It seems to come back in today's society that there's dissatisfaction with the way things are going on. Now, I'm not just talking about the matters of blacks or just of whites. It seems like there's a general discontent and a complaint about how everything is being handled by everybody. And I want you to know that there was a time in the Bible when this was the case as well. Let's go to Habakkuk 1. And if we begin to read in Habakkuk 1, we're going to see the climate of of Israel, Josiah had already uh, been king. He had already found the scrolls. He had already reformed a lot of the works of Israel, but he, but he let some th- left some things go, and now sin is running rapid, and, and the prophet wants to talk to God about it. 
Habakkuk 1, verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you should not hear? Or cry to you violence and you not save? Why do you not see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise so that the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous so that justice goes forth perverted. Right now, I believe that many of us in society can look at this verse and see this is what people are feeling. They're feeling like there is violence going on. There's justice uh, that's being perverted. Things aren't going right, but the prophet is doing something that is very unique uh, to him, and, and it's maybe foreign to us as a society right now. He's not bringing this complaint to a man. He's not bringing this complaint to the government. He's not bringing this complaint to his neighbor. He's not bringing uh, this complaint to the business community or other ethnicities. He's actually bringing this complaint to God. He says, God, I know you're the ultimate authority and I've been crying out to you and I've been looking to you and I've been asking you to save and you're the God of all justice, but you're not doing anything yet. It reminds me of the point in the garden where man actually sinned and when God confronts man about his sin, Adam says to him, the reason I sin is the woman you gave me. So in other words, God is your fault. See, all of us have something to complain about. We've asked questions and they went unanswered. So we have a complaint. We've done the right steps and, and, and it hasn't produced the result. We've got a complaint. We went to the Capitol or you, you went to wherever you were to, to lodge your complaint with the right authorities, but the check has come back insufficient funds. And it seems like everybody is bankrupt. I've got a complaint. If you're out there and you're sitting in your house and, and you just agree with this, you need to just look at somebody on your left or your right or look at me on the screen and says, yes, I've got a complaint, but it is not with me. It is not with anybody else. This complaint Habakkuk had was with God because he did not judge sin. So even though we know all of sin and come short of the glory of God, uh, and we're never really talking about God judging us as sinners, it's always those other people who are doing sin. Habakkuk loses sight of who he is and he starts taking the position of the reprover instead of the reproved. And he's telling God, uh, I've got some complaints. Anybody relate? I see some violence. I'm complaining about. I see some perverted justice. Anybody relate to that? Of course you relate. It's everywhere right now. I want you to know um, when I came into contact with this verse, how did I get here? Let me just help you. Uh, I don't like to think about the death of George Floyd is too hard. So around three or four days after it happened, I'm sitting at the table with my 17 year old son and he is asking me um, questions about the situation. He had never seen uh, racism and, and violence to that degree uh, because, you know, he just hadn't been exposed to it or he just uh, awakened to it in this in this moment. And he began to say me, this to me, Dad, what is the answer? And then he answers for me. He said, I know you're going to tell me to pray. And I smiled like you, he knows the answer. And he says to me, I'm saved, so I'm going to pray. I know the Lord. He said, number two, he says, you're going to tell me that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer to all of the problems going on right now. And I smiled even bigger. I said, my son knows the truth. Hallelujah. And he said, dad, dad I, I, all of that's true. But what I'm asking you right now is, the gospel is good and prayer is good, but what you going to do now? And this boy actually gets his finger. 
What are you going to do? Do something. How can you eat? How can you sleep when my life or the life of other people are? And it was a piercing moment, sobering moment, in fact. So sobering that even though I was on vacation and even though I had not allowed myself to really dial in to what was going on in society, and even though I was becoming numb and trying to wait to figure out how I was going to emotionally deal with it, I was at a table with my child needing to answer questions so he didn't say that the check was insufficient funds. And I opened my Bible to Habakkuk 1, and I began to articulate to him that there's been a people who's been frustrated, much like you are, much like everyone else is. And what they did that was right was give their complaint to God. But what they did is not recognize exactly how God answers complaints. So son, let's keep reading. And so I read on that part and then I went to verse five. And verse five says this, it said, look among the nations and see the wonders and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation who will march through the breadth of the earth to seize the dwellings, not their own. In other words, God says, are you kidding me? Do you think uh, the eyes of the Lord don't go to and fro throughout the earth, beholding the good and the evil? Do you think he that watches over Israel actually fell asleep in summer? Do you, do you think that which you commit to me I'm not able to keep? Do you think I'm not a God of, of, of justice? I am doing a work right now among you. And even if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Habakkuk, the reason that you're complaining is you've lost sight of what I've already said. You've lost sight of my character. You lost sight of who I am, wherever you're at. Do you know that God is at work right now? Even before we ask him, he's already sending the answer. That is a powerful narrative. But you know what? Habakkuk, Habakkuk, much like myself, he, 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 uh, he began to still have something to say. Verse 12, he said, are you not the, from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment. And you, O rock, have established them as reproof. You who are of pure eyes, then to see evil and cannot look upon wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when they are wicked and swallow up the, the man more righteous than him? In other words, Habakkuk's response to God saying, I've got this and I've got an answer and I, I've got a plan was not God great, can you give me more details? Was not God thank you because I, I knew talking to you would be the right thing. He only began to say, God, you're my God, and I know that you're a good guy, and you would never use the wicked Chaldeans to solve the problem of your good people. I know you know better, Lord. I know that you're a reprover, but I'm not going to die. Even though God had already pronounced judgment, Habakkuk doesn't like it. Because let me tell you something about the Lord. Because when you're not complaining to people and you're complaining to the right person, you're going to get a profound answer. God always judges sin. 
God always judges sin. And if you're ever confused about it, the story of Jesus Christ becoming a man, dying the death we should have died, and being raised again from the third day is the proof that he doesn't let sin go unchecked. The wages of sin is death. It's somehow difficult for us to believe as human beings at times that that God wants to take care of the problem in a more uh, powerful and dynamic and ultimate way than we do. I think sometimes that we forget that this world is fit for destruction. I think sometimes we forget that, um, that before man sinned, that this world was a perfect place. And ever since man sinned, that it has been slipping into decay. I think that we forget that men hadn't been on the planet very long before Genesis 6 says, every thought of man continually was evil at all times. I think that we forget that, and Habakkuk had forgotten all of that. And now instead of receiving the reproof from God for his complaint, he's going to correct God. He's going to put God in check. He's going to start saying, I know you're powerful. I know you're pure and I know you're holy and you're my God, but you don't want to do that. And you especially don't want to use the Chaldeans. That's too, that's too strong. It would be like us crying out for God to do something here in our nation. And they said, okay, good. And then you're, and, and then something, some calamity worse happens to purge out evil. You see, We always think we know, but what Habakkuk should be coming to the conclusion, like I should be coming to the conclusion, you should be coming to the conclusion, James, my son, should be coming to the conclusion, God simply knows best. And you see something extraordinary happen in Habakkuk 2. He begins to move from that place of correcting God to a place where you can see conviction descended upon him. You see, I'm happy that he was complaining the right place because when you complain in the right place, the word of God starts coming to your heart, starts coming to your mind, starts working on your soul and the way God thinks and what God wants begins to season everything that you're doing and it starts to adjust you. It adjusted Habakkuk to the point that chapter two starts off with a different man. You can see that this man is having conviction because his conviction is has moved him to change. So he had a complaint, he gets a conviction and he causes him to change. It changes his heart. He changes his mind. He changes his direction. He changes his focus. Perhaps could God be wanting us to change? And so here it is. Habakkuk 2 verse 1, I will take my stand. In other words, I have something I can do as an individual. And I will stand at my watch post. It's not just what I can do. It's where I need to do it from. Each of you has been given an assigned place, an assigned neighborhood, an assigned job, an assigned ministry, a gift and and, and a talent. And I'm asking you, will you be who God made you to be? Will you be who God ordained you to be? Because being that person is pretty powerful. I love that Habakkuk said, I will take my stand. I'm not going to back away from what I need God to do, but I'm going to adjust how I'm doing it. How do you know that? Because he said, I will station myself upon the watchtower and I will look to see what the Lord will say. Now, he's not interested in his complaint. Um, He's not interested in his emotion. He's not interested in his frustration. It's almost as if he's come to the end of himself by interacting with God in this prayer moment. He was given the freedom by God to say whatever he needed to say. And God said whatever he needed to say. And it brought him to a place of conviction. And now he's having a change of heart because he's demanding action from God. Now he said, I'm going to wait on God. What are you demanding? 
I don't care where side of the argument you land on. What are you demanding? How are you trying to force the issue? And by what fleshly means are you trying to force the issue? Because the God of the universe is trying to just get you to wait on him. It is good for a man in Lamentation to say to both hope and silently wait on the salvation of the Lord. Isn't that difficult? Oh, Pastor James, you're trying to say God's not a God of justice. Oh, yeah, he's justice. He's got Chaldeans. He's got all types of things to judge sin that, that, that probably we would say mercy God when they show up. The Bible says don't despise the, the forbearance of God. It's the goodness of God that leads a man to repent. Sometimes God allows things to stay as is, not as a sign of approval, but because he's trying to give messages to people. It's time for change. But it's an act of mercy, not of absence, not of being oblivious. And he says, I will station myself on the watch and I will watch to see what the Lord will say and what I will answer concerning my complaint. In other words, then I'm going to challenge myself once God speaks to figure out this time, will I keep on complaining or will I start turning my mindset to his mindset? Will I repent? Will I relent? Will I become compliant? See, yeah, you, you can complain, but your complaint has to be to the right person, God, and you have to let it bring a conviction to you that, that, that brings you to some level of compliance. You have to surrender. God is speaking to you. God is speaking to me. God uh, began to speak to me well, uh, when I was frustrated and I didn't, didn't know what to do. And, and here the scripture comes. It's, it's, it's the T-shirt that I'm wearing. It says in, in, in Luke 18, 1, men not always to pray and not faint, give up, cave in and quit. Men, this means don't, don't, don't abandon God. Don't abandon his process. Don't abandon his system. Don't abandon his church. Don't abandon his will. Don't abandon his ways. Don't abandon your stand. Don't abandon, abandon your post. Don't give up hope. Don't give up faith. Don't give up on people. Don't give up on humanity. Don't become belligerent. Don't become ignorant. Don't become unrighteous. Don't try to solve things through sin and iniquity and anger and frustration. Solve things with the will and the word of God. Solve things the way of God. I will watch to see what the Lord will say. How am I going to respond? I'm going to turn to the Lord. I believe that I'm speaking to a people who are going to turn to the Lord, who is not turning a blind eye, who is not ignoring what's going on, but he just knows how to solve the problems in a way that's less destructive. And when he's going to solve it in a profound way, it's completely solved. And if God solves the complete problem of sin, we probably won't be on the planet because all have sinned. He believes we can live this life successfully with him. And watch what the rest of the uh, verse says. And the Lord answered me. The Bible said, you call, he'll answer your call and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You begin to ask him, you begin to seek him, you begin to knock on the door for him, you, he, you, you, you'll find him. He will come in, he said, you know what? What you need to do is not write your vision, write my vision. Make it plain upon tablets that they that read can run for the vision is yet for an appointed time. Though it waits, though it tarries, wait for it, saith the Lord, for it shall surely come to pass. I know when God speaks, you may not want to do it. So yes, as a pastor, as a leader, many people are calling me, including my son. So what are you going to do, James Lowe? What are you going to do about the World Outreach Church? What are you going to do, citizens of Nashville, citizens of Tennessee, citizens of the United States? What are you going to do? And I am begging you to ask a different question. 
Not what am I going to do? What are you going to do? It's what does God ask us to do in times of crisis? How is God asking us to live? He has an answer. And sitting at that table with my son, with the Bible open for the first time with, with Habakkuk 1 and 2, I'm reading the answer after the death, the senseless death of a man named George Floyd that murdered. It the thing that hurt me so bad and out of the pain, God said, I've, I've got an answer. Trust me and ask me. And I go to bed and I wake up and the next morning, God begins to speak to me and he gives me acts of service to do, acts of kindness to do, real practical things to do. And all of that culminated into just having seven days at 7 p.m., where I would walk with a group of people that are like-minded, believing God to tear down the walls, the invisible walls of racism, the invisible walls of injustice, the invisible walls of, of, of fear and, and separation and disunity, and all of those walls that are invisible to separate us, just like the walls of Jericho. They marched around that for seven days in silence, in silence, and their silence meant, God, we don't know what to do. It meant, God, we trust you that you can do whatever you said. And it, and, it, and it says, we're listening to you. And the word to God about those walls were, those walls are coming down because the city is yours. I got some news for you, Bethel. I got some news for you, Nashville. I've got some news for you, state of Tennessee. This is your city, your state, your people. It's yours. And the walls that separate you from the promises of God, they are not physical walls. They only appear to be. They are spiritual walls. The Bible said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, uh, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. Our God is immortal. He's eternal. He's invisible. And he can knock down the things, the things that are the root of the problem. They are spiritual problems. And you can take the word of God and take the ax to the root. What if you believe that way? Then you would join us. By now, we would have been, been walking at 7 p.m. for six days. You can join me tonight at 7 p.m. And you can walk in silence. But your silence doesn't mean that you don't see the problem. It means I need God to intervene on the problem. But the uniqueness of tonight is on the seventh day when they marched around seventh time, they let out a shout, a war cry, a victory cry, and the walls begin to come down. Do you want to see racism come down? Then come on and walk and shout. Do you want to see injustice come down? Then come on and walk and shout because our walk is a walk of faith. I want you to be just like Peter who when he saw Jesus, he said, Jesus, tell me to come. And Jesus was walking on the water and Peter stepped out with faith out of a boat which seemed secure and he put himself in an insecure environment and he was walking on water because he saw Jesus. Jesus has spoken to this church. There's, there's something you can do. Trust me, believe in me, pray to me and the walls will come down. Let me give you this final promise that's in Romans. If you want to know the mindset we should have, if you're trying to figure out how you should think, I want you to go to Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Listen to the mindset that we should have as we close. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. 
her glory. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Not just honorable in the sight of God. Do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. God's got you, Habakkuk. God's got you, Nashville. God's got you. Whatever the injustice you might feel, God's got it. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. He didn't say I might repay. He said I will repay. I pray mercy because when God repays, he gets Chaldeans. He gets the best fighting force on the planet. He said, I'm going to wipe you out. Oh, God, give us mercy. We want things to change, but don't let that kind of judgment come. That's devastating to all. To the contrary, because some of you saying, that's not devastating to me because my enemy is gone. But you got to read on. It says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals of fire on their head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. My people, the Lord says, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves, that means you got to get low and pray, seek my face, turn from mine. James Lowe's wicked ways. I've been doing repenting. I can't just ask other people to repent if I don't repent. Turn from my wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, corporately, all of our sin, and heal their land. You want this land to heal? Then get on your knees and pray to God. And when you stand, stand on the word of God. He cares so much that he gave you the best news ever. He was willing to become a man, live the life we should live, die in our place, the death we deserve. But because he was pure and holy and right, and because God is just, he was raised from the dead. And his pure, holy, great life he offers to each one of us. Now, maybe for you who are already born again, you've neglected the great life that Jesus is offering you. And I'm telling you, pick it back up. You'll hit confidence. You'll receive power. And for those of you watching right now who didn't believe Jesus cared, didn't believe God cared, and you had a complaint, I want you to know your complaint can become compliance to the good news and make Jesus Lord of your life right now. I want to pray with you. It is so simple, but you've got to mean it from your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe everything about you. You're really here. You really love man. You really care about us. You're really able to fix it. God, will you start with me? I know what's in my heart, the things I struggle with. And if you don't wash me, if you don't change, I won't be changed. I want to surrender my life to your will. I declare right now, you're Lord of my life. You can have my life for the rest of my life. I thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for praying that prayer. I want to thank you for being a listener. I want to thank you for joining me tonight at 7 o'clock. I want to thank you for listening to God tell you exactly what to do to be the change that you are looking for. 
over the years, I have heard negative things about the millennial generation, but I'm really encouraged by them now. And I'm encouraged by Gen Z. When I look at young people, the people that we're going to trust with the future of this nation and the world, I'm actually encouraged. I need you to be encouraged. I've asked some of our young ministers and leaders to just pray as the Lord has led them. They've been reading uh, the book of Habakkuk and they've been watching to see what the Lord will say. Let's see what the Lord wants to say through the next generation. Well, thank you that you are just God. You care about injustice and the wickedness of man. No wrong goes unseen, no injustice goes unjudged. Our prayers and outcries don't fall on deaf ears, but rather you hear us every single time. Thank you that just like Habakkuk states, you are already moving on behalf of your people and bringing judgment to those who need to be judged. Lord, let us not as your people and as the body of Christ become self-righteous, taking upon ourselves that which only you can do. We repent, Lord, for putting ourselves in a space that only you can occupy. May we not make idols for ourselves of people or objects and forgive us if we have. Help us to lean into the hurt and heal us, Lord, as a church body and a nation. Help us to be able to show your grace and mercy to those who need it. And may we not play judge and juror. We repent right now for scoffing at your judgment because we believed it should have been executed in a different way. We repent as the body of Christ for not being your hands and feet, but rather pointing fingers with hardened hearts. We repent for idle words spoken out of anger instead of love. We ask for your forgiveness now, Lord, for looking at your children and deciding they are unworthy in our own self-righteous eyes. You came to bring freedom to the oppressed, dignity to those who are cast down and worthiness to people who feel otherwise. May we as a church be your vessel of hope and unity. When people see your bride, may they see you full of grace and mercy. Amen. God, we thank you that you are in control in all circumstances. We thank you that even when we don't understand what you're doing, you are at work in our lives and in the world around us. And we can trust that your vision and plan are good. I pray we would not ignore violence, pain, destruction, or injustice in the world around us. But I also pray we would respond to it rightly by looking to you. God, we thank you because you see our situation and our emotions and you care about them. I thank you that we can come boldly before your throne and be honest with how we feel at any given moment. And as we bring our cares before you, we pray that you would give us eyes to see situations from your perspective. We repent for complaining and questioning how you're responding to a situation. We let go of our own ideas of what justice looks like, and we acknowledge that you and your sovereignty are directing the world around us. We repent for believing that we know how to solve the problems we see better than you can. Instead, we pray that you would teach us how to live by faith, believing that you will not delay in bringing transformation to our world. We trust in your timing, and we thank you for being trustworthy and faithful. You know, what's interesting in Habakkuk chapter one, verse two, is that Habakkuk says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry out for help? And in that, it's an indicator that Habakkuk is clearly disappointed because he is crying out for help. He is speaking to the Father, and he is awaiting his response. That's where the complaint comes in. And my prayer for us today with complaints and all, that we at least have the strength of Habakkuk to cry out for help, to have a desire, a burning, urgent desire to hear what thus said the Lord. And if we hadn't heard from you, God, give us the strength and patience to wait on you. Give us the strength and patience to not put our own desires and our own thoughts 
ahead of what your plan is, your strategic plan, your prophetic plan, Father God. Your word tells us that your ways are above our ways and your thoughts are above our thoughts, Lord. You know your word. You know your word, Father God. So, Lord, I'm praying for my heart, for the hearts of those who are watching and, and can hear my voice right now, Father God, that we have the strength and the endurance to cry out to you and to wait to hear from you, Lord. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 and 3 say, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. God, we give you thanks just for your vision of racial reconciliation, that in your scripture we read by your heart for all nations, that you read a vision of all nations and every tribe and every tongue worshiping together before your throne, that you're not a God of one people or one people group, but that you brought the gospel to all, that this is a message, Lord, that can unite us, a message that can bring healing to our nation in this time, and a message, dear God, and just your hope, your promise, dear God, that unifies us and brings us together. In Jesus' name. I've asked those same young people to come back and give you exactly what God is giving them to do as an action step. So listen to what they're going to do. I commit to praying with our church to see God's will done in our city, not my own. And I commit to waiting expectantly and listening to how God wants me to participate in the plans that he's already working. My action step is simply to wait and to get instructions from the Lord. And it is my hope that you join me in putting his instructions before our own self-righteous ideas. I commit to not harden my heart against people who have opposing views, but rather to continue to listen, to continue to learn, and to continue an environment of unity amongst my brothers and sisters 